0: Hello and welcome to the Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors.
1: When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon.
0: Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours.
2: People working hard for you and me, moving
1: higher, time and time again, through the years you'll find us here,
0: moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Higher Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how are you doing this morning?
3: I'm good finally getting over uh a cold here, but um I'm coming out of it, ready for some uh trip to fan here on Thursday, yeah, and um you know getting ready for uh for some some nice relaxing time with family as I'm sure you and everyone else is
0: so yep it's a uh thanksgiving's one of my favorite holidays you know there's no expectation, it's pretty easy you just eat and watch football, I don't know how I don't know how much more you could ask for in a holiday, but that's a good one, and you get to... I-
3: yeah, I yeah, make sure out. that when everybody comes over, that I have a bunch of dull knives. Everything's been working out ever
0: since I've done that. <laughs> That's good. That's a good idea. Take the shivs and put them away for, for yeah, the yeah. Uh, so for the so either,
3: yeah. even if, if accidentally things are being thrown, you know yeah. the outcome
0: won't be too bad. Yeah, so. it's uh, it always comes out in the wash, right, Sean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. So I felt like we need to talk about this because we've talked about it before on on the show. Uh, I have had this is. Probably the second or third article that I've seen pop up in my news feed about this, where they've asked a question about volcanic activity. And if you look at the Smithsonian Institute's volcanic program, they say that the average number of of, uh, volcanic activity of volcanoes going off at any time should be somewhere between 40 and 50 volcanoes at any given time. We are within that 40 or 50 volcano. Um, volcanic activity uh, going off at at this time right now. I think we're at 46 right now. So we're on the high side. But what I think is um, interesting about the topic is that not so much the number of volcanoes that are going off, but the concentrated fact of where those volcanoes are going off at. So we've talked about on here a few times as the grand solar minimums take place and the sun's activity weakens and less cosmic rays are hitting the sun's magnetosphere or the earth's magnetosphere the the amount of uh it weakens that magnetosphere which then um does tend to cause uh tectonic plates to have more freedom to move around and 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 we've talked about this before that some of the biggest volcanoes that have gone off have gone off during a grand solar minimum um uh what's the one with the 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 summer with or this The year without a uh, summer, Mount
3: Tambora, Tambora. eighteen fifteen, I think it was. Yeah, was uh,
0: VEI
3: seven. It was just unbelievable, and it did create not only the year without a summer here, but the year without a summer everywhere. It was, it was, it was crop failure, famine time for Mm -hmm. the next couple of years because of that. It was. They call it the nuclear winter, you know, as as a terminology because it was just Mm -hmm. brutal. Of course, that occurred when we were at the peak of the. Uh, low sunspot cycle, because so the planet was already uh, cooling, and then so that just added the final, you know, the final catalyst. And actually, the lowest temperatures Earth has seen was those two years, and then we've been warming up, you know, ever since we we came out of that. Yep. So that that was actually your low temperature Earth temperature was right in that eighteen fifteen, eighteen sixteen, eighteen seventeen, up to this point. And so, what we're looking ahead at now is a trough of this solar cycle in the late 2030s, the early 2040s. Uh, so, we would anticipate that because of that, and because the sea surface temperature cycle is expected to turn down post 2025, meaning that the Atlantic Ocean is going to go into the cold phase and couple up with the cold. At- Pacific Ocean, both of those cycles will be in the cold mode at the same time, which hasn't happened really since the uh, maunder minimum it was the last time we had those two cycles going together at the same time and as you know, one of the triggers that we're watching for the Atlantic Ocean to go cold is the Beaufort geyer uh, reversion of the mm-hmm. of the clockwise flow to the counterclockwise flow that the Oceanographic institute. Of woods hole their latest paper from a few months back says their title was an imminent reversal of the beaufort Gyre, and um and so that's kind of and then and then so with those two cycles in place we then would be if we were to get one of these vei 6 vei 7 uh during this 10 to 15 year period You know, we would be looking at something most likely like that, where we'd be making that we'd have that kind of reaction in the atmosphere and reaction to temperature. So, you know, I I don't say any of that because I'm excited about the prospects of all of that, but this has happened before, uh, many, many times before, and unless the natural forces of nature and the sun. And Earth and the planets and all the magnetic fields and gravimetric fields, uh, strengths that are involved have changed, which I don't believe they have. Uh, then that's what we're looking at, and we just we need to prepare, act, adjust, and be aware. Um, no, you can't avoid every risk that's out there in life, but you can mitigate some. And I always tell everyone always because we live in Hurricaneville down here that even if, if a Category five or six is about to come over Boca Raton, where I live. No, I can't. All I can't. You know, I can't alter all the risks that that's going to happen, but I can mitigate them to the point where there's a pathway forward. Whereas if I don't know it's coming, like in the 1930s when they did not know it was coming, um, you know, then it's
0: catastrophic uh, loss of life. And
3: right. That's what you want to avoid. Property is going to be damaged, but you just want to avoid loss of life.
0: So, okay, so the. Uh The V, the volcanic eruption index, right? right? V-E-I.
3: Volcanic explosivity index. All
0: right. Explosivity index. That is, I'm sure that's, that's a a exponential thing, right? So the difference between a a four and a five is, you know, a hundred times or 10 times. It's like the Richter scale.
3: If you look at it, it's an exponential, Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's an exponential increase in strength.
0: Okay. All right. So go, go 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 ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, so if, okay, so you say you had one VI six go off and then say you had five VEI fours go off at the same time. How does that, is it, is it the difference between where it reaches in the, the stratosphere, how that reaches the stratosphere, how that affects what, what your, what goes on as far as um, blocking out the sun rays uh, or is it, is it uh, the volume? I mean, what, what is it that we're looking for here of ash? Uh, The first thing is the column height has to reach 30
3: kilometers in order to sufficiently be in the middle part of the stratosphere. So, so first of all, whatever the the plume, the column of plume has to be strong enough to get up to that high. So uh, Tonga was, um, got into the mesosphere. Only one other volcano has ever gotten to the mesosphere, which is the outer outer atmosphere. So that column height was incredible. Now the reason why that wasn't a VEI-7 is because the material that it deposited in the stratosphere um, uh, wasn't enough to equate that. Meaning, there's there's a definition for it. Okay, And so it's not just column height, but it's actual amount of aerosols that are deposited in the stratosphere so so there's the eruption now does the eruption last one hour does it last three days Mm -hmm. that has a lot to do with how much aerosols get deposited in the atmosphere so the first thing i have an equation that um uh, i found from a hotshot scientist from 100 years ago that i'm able to determine whether a volcano was a vei 567 within one day of the eruption by looking at uh, column height and uh, aerosol material. And it was, it's been back tested a thousand years to be, you know, with a, a 92% uh, correlation coefficient to the actual determination of the volcano many, many months later. Uh, so I can pretty quickly figure out whether something's a VI 5, 6, 7 within, within 24 hours of the eruption. Um, so that's what we're looking for. Height. Is it high enough and long enough? Is it putting enough of that sulfur dioxide or, in the case of Tonga, water vapor in the atmosphere to, to, to equate to you know a six, a seven, or an eight? Um, just to give an example, I, I think in Earth's history, I think there's only been three or four eights. I mean, there, that's like, you know, that's like extension of the human race kind of stuff. Right, so we'll put that aside.
0: That's like a Yellowstone super caldera. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like right.
3: you know we're going to start over.
0: Right,
3: you know we're just going right. to start over. Yeah, you know some new cells are going to start developing in some petri dish in some ocean yeah. somewhere, and we're going to start all we're going to start from scratch because you know when, when that happened to the dinosaurs I don't know, but you know we're going to start from scratch. That's a VI when That happens. It's you
0: know right. we're all going
3: to see we're all going to see the light at the same time. Hopefully, that's, that's right. So yeah. yeah. Uh, We'll put that one aside, but VI six and sevens, you know, we get them. Obviously, seven is rough. Like I said, the last one we had was Tambora, but more likely, we're looking at the sixes, like the Tonga was. So, so that's how we. That's that's what it is. And then the 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 idea behind it: if 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 you have a a, a volcanic eruption that's high enough but doesn't put enough sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere, that means you're not you're not going to get the disruption in the upper airflow pattern, you're not going to get the cooling effect. It's its not enough to create a major global weather impact. You need both the height and the quantity uh, because once they get up there, they're, they're, they, they'll stay up there. Those aerosols will stay up there for three years before they dissipate. at least for sulfur dioxide's case. For water vapor, it looks like it could be four years versus three. Um, but if it's not enough, Then it just disperses because, you know, we have this big stature. And it just, it has only minor impacts, mostly locally. So that's what we're looking for. Not that I'm looking for, but that's what you want to to be on the, on the, uh, be on the mindful of. Height, 30 kilometers or more. And quantity of material. There there are websites that I uh, have found that measure real-time sulfur dioxide emissions in the stratosphere. So like there's a volcano going off in Papua New Guinea, not not a major one by the way, but you can see how much sulfur dioxide is being emitted. It's not going in the stratosphere because it's not tall enough, but you know, we have a way of saying how much is going up there within within, you know, real time we can see how much is you know, how much is being emitted and is it going high enough. So luckily, fortunately for us in this day and age, we can know exactly what's going, on. whereas 100 years ago, 200 years ago Nobody had a clue. It was just, you know, we had no idea what was going on. So that's that's what we're looking for because sulfur dioxide. Remember, if you look at sulfur dioxide, it causes these mirror-like uh, spheres in the atmosphere, in the stratosphere. Right. They act like mirrors, and the sun gets blocked away. Sun gets blocked away. Sun gets blocked away. So, so not only do we have a weak solar output, but then whatever it is trying to come in is getting blocked out more more, more readily. It,
2: <laughs> and then it allows heat to escape mm-hmm.
3: causing a massive cooling effect and air sinks on earth so you get rapid sinking of air and when you get rapid sinking of air you get wild weather volatility um, off the rails and obviously uh, very difficult growing conditions so that's kind of you know where we what we think that scenario is going to show itself and when it does, I think everyone needs to realize that at least for agriculture, you know, prices are going to uh do something materially different when that when that when and if that scenario takes place than it's ever done before in modern day times.
0: So, All right. so that's why I thought these articles were so I mean you know, you see three, two or three articles pop up on something like this, and you keep they keep you know fanning the you know not even fanning, trying to throw a wet blanket over the over what's going on around you. Uh, basically, saying, hey, you know what? Nothing to see here, nothing to see here. But I think what's interesting about this, like you just laid out there, was that it's not so much the the, the number of volcanoes that we see happening right now, because like you said, it's forty six We're within the range, well, we're, at we're the high side of the range anyway. Um, but it's the the frequency of where they're at and the and they seem to be getting stronger as as more go off right and we saw Tonga get it happen, but then it seems like the the frequency of more of bigger volcanoes have been more frequent uh since since you know over the last three or four years as we've watched this stuff take place
3: yeah and, and you know, you made a comment you know if you had you know ten. 10- Uh, uh, VEI fours was that, you know, is that, uh, equal one VI six? It doesn't. I mean, it's not even close. It's the VEI six is so, it's so dramatically more larger that it's, you will have local effects, right? VE fours and V5s. It's like Mount St. Helens, I think was a five or borderline four or five. Year that went off, what, 1980 or something 81. like that? 81, yep. You know, it, was, it was a wild situation, but it, had, it just had a local effect to us. It had no global impact to climate because it, it, it's it's just the, the, the exponential differential between one level to the other is so enormous. It's not even close. Yeah. It really needs to be, I, I see so many people, they send me emails and texts because they know I'm on top of this kind of stuff and they say, oh, there's all these fights is going to have a major impact. I'm like, no. It'll have a local impact. So if, 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 you know, Papua New Guinea, they're going to have a local impact because it's right there and they're going to have an impact, but it's not going to have a global impact other than very, very, very local at that time. And so that's what you have to really, you know, separate the uh, excitement over just watching a volcano and all that goes with it and the lava flows and all that stuff to what's actually going to impact climate it's got to be a vei 6 period if it's not anyone that tells you it's going to have a major impact on climate is not giving you the correct information i've done work and read the smartest people for decades on this topic it's got to be vi6 and tonga was a vi6 just in the opposite aerosols of water vapor and it is having a dramatic impact on hot weather extremes, as speculated by some of the smartest minds in the world. And even though we haven't had one of these in a thousand years, the speculation is proving itself out to be correct. So, the next, if, if, and when we ever get another one of these, we'll know that we'll be on the lookout for some wild hot weather extremes, which we've, we've clearly seen uh, post the Tong eruption in early 2022. So, yeah. you know, this, this is a, a, this will go down in the annals of, uh, um, of, of volcanism you know that people can look back at toga and say that's that's what a, that is what a water vapor vei6 does to the world's climate and it's very impactful just in the exact opposite effect it's a heating effect it's a warming effect it's a yep. drought effect you know to this to so we still have 100 degree temperatures in northern brazil we've had literally averaging 100 degree temperatures for almost two months now it's and then they're they're barely getting into summer um yeah it's extraordinary it's extraordinary what 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 volcanic- natural uh forces of nature like volcanic eruptions how much of an impact they can actually have on our climate uh it's 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 amazing um but they do you know there's certain things that don't there's certain things that do ocean temperatures do sun's activity does large volcanic eruptions do i mean those those are clear uh drivers of big dramatic and extreme climate change
0: yep so all right so you brought up in my next topic uh that i was going to talk to you about there uh the weather forecast for um brazil is that there's some parts of brazil that could get so much need rain um i don't know it's the 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 way the 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 weather information is coming through is that it's, yeah, we're getting rain, but they don't really say how much and what it looks like and, and if it's widespread or if it's narrow. It sounds like to me it's a very narrow band that's going to get it, but it doesn't sound like it's that much, but we still have the heat to deal with. So, you know, as a uh, growing up in Kansas where it could be 105 degrees during the day, we get a rainstorm that comes through uh, and uh, it, it rains in the morning. And by the afternoon, all the effects of that rain is gone because it's 105 degrees outside. When you're looking at the situation in Brazil, this rain event that's coming through there, is that an, enough to, to, to swing the, uh, the drought nature that we see there, or is it not, you know, a little too little, too late type of a situation? Well, look, um,
3: it's never too. We're, we're, we're still trying to plant the crop, so I mean, sure. it's it's not too late. <laughs> it, it's too late in February. For, right. for soybeans, it's too late. Yeah, I mean, it's not too late You know, to get some beneficial rains that could help the crop because they're still trying to get it planted. The problem has been, because it's been so dry and so hot, a lot of the crop that did get planted in soybeans has to be replanted. But because they haven't had any rain until, let's say, this past weekend and through this week, they've not been able to replant that. And they haven't been comfortable planting. New acres because you're planting it in absolute you know dry subsoil um, the the biggest so so does, does just to give the example i'm not, I'm just going to be looking at a screen here the the average coverage of precipitation that this one week's worth of rain is going to have in north Brazil, okay this is the average um is about. 50 millimeters an inch is 35 millimeters okay so we're talking about roughly an inch and a half of rain on average will have fallen over a one week's time frame by the way every day is 100 degrees plus right we have (laughs) uh, deficits so if you go from october 1st through the current time frame, we have deficits that are in excess, depending on exactly the area you're looking at, in excess of 10 to 15 inches. So I, I will I will lay it out as a logical person. It's as if we're 10 to 15 inches deficient from October 1st to the point that the rains started to occur, and we get an inch and a half of rain over a week's time frame with 100 degree temperatures, that is... That is not going to even cover the evaporation rate. Meaning that the rate at which that rainfall is evaporating on a daily basis is fairly equal to the to the rain that's fallen. And so all this does, Casey, is it prevents the it prevents things from deteriorating further for at least a week. It gives them a little bit of moisture, maybe, to get to try some plantings again. But the following week after this, no rain, degrees plus. Yeah. Now remember. So, so what's going to happen is this is a pause, and then we deteriorate next week. In Argentina, the one in one hundred year drought last year, half a crop, fifty percent down in corn production and soybean. Imagine fifty percent down here, Casey. Just imagine having fifty percent crops in the U.S. Right? Yeah, that's what they had down there. It's that's what they had. That's how bad it was. But they had three and a half inches of rain in early February, still an important time to get rain that could have helped the crop, okay? Three and a half inches in a fairly short period of time. The soybean market, I believe at that time, dropped a dollar and a half because of that.
2: And it stopped. And 100 degrees,
3: 105 degrees came back, and it didn't rain. And within two weeks, all the evaporation rate erased all of that and we went on to the worst crop they've ever had in, in Argentina's production history. So once again, it's it's not so much. Look, North Brazil is like as large as like half the United States, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, you're not yeah. going to go through a whole growing season and not have some rainfall yeah. somewhere. It's just comical to think that oh, I, the, the rain's falling. Well, pff, of course it is. I mean, you're kidding me that something's going to fall somewhere along the line. Sure, come on, right? So. So let's let let's just. So is it a pattern change? So I mean, if, if it's a pattern change, I mean, if we're going to keep getting this, then that's a game changer. Okay, game changer. Why is it happening? It's happening because it's a frontal boundary rain event. What that means is that the way in South America, you know, in North America fronts come down and like this. In South America they come up. Right. So we have a frontal boundary. So if you look at Argentina, it's super cold down there because. Of, Cool front's coming up. So something that's called the uh, um, Antarctic Oscillation Index is a measure of how wavy the jet stream is.
2: Okay. And right now, the
3: AAO uh, is in positive territory. When it's in positive territory, it allows th- these uh, frontal boundaries to come further north. And when it come further north, you get a little bit of rain. But then you know how fronts come. Fronts go up and they sure, it dissipate. dissipate. Yep. It's a short-term thing. It's not what drives north Brazil weather is Amazon monsoon, period. What drives south is Atlantic flow. So, yeah, you can get a little bit of rain from a frontal boundary, but it's not a pattern change. It's going to dissipate when it go back to hot and dry next next week or two. So... Until or if and when we see the Amazon monsoon firing up moisture into to the, to the uh, North Brazil area, where that's more of a permanent feature of repeated rain, uh, you know, atmospheric river conditions, this is not a major weather pattern change, and it's it's it, and it's not that much rainfall. They have very sandy soils in Brazil where we think everybody has soils like we have here in the United States. Dark ground, you know, uh, you know, black ground and, and uh, you know, absorbs the moisture, holds it forever. Um, they don't have that. It goes in, it goes out, and out. They need constant steady rainfall to keep it going because it's porous, it goes in, it goes in, it goes out. Um, so they, you know, an inch and a half after being 10 or 15 inches deficit with 100 degrees it's, it's laughable that, that that's yeah. going to do anything but hit the pause button. So, so obviously a lot of people are short the market and are trying to uh, convince the market that this is a game-changing range because they desperately, in my opinion, need to get their short positions in better shape than they are, at least for soybeans. That's my speculation. Why would they be saying such nonsense that they're saying? you could tell they're talking their book. That happens all the time. People talk their book all the time. Right. But the wrong side of the market, they know the wrong side of the market. So they're going to say the first race, "Oh, my gosh, this is, uh, you know, this is uh, a trillion dollar rain. Oh my god." <laughs> anyway, that's what makes the market Casey, and that's what we love about them. All right. People could say whatever they wish. But the facts are that's just not a not a game changing weather pattern yet. Now, if there is a game pattern, general, we'll, we'll, we're not going to be oblivious to it. But this is not. So now, now in the south, you know the rainfall has been just excessive, right. excessive, excessive, yes. and we're now hearing that massive replantings are now going to have to take place because the 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 the
2: the ground is underwater and and it's just. They got to start over
3: on a lot of acres down there. Um, so when I look at that scenario, Casey, okay, you know replantings in the south, replantings in the north. Uh,
0: the rainfall, reasons, yeah.
3: yeah, the rainfall in the south <clears throat> is not. It does no indication that that Atlantic flow is going to stop. I don't know. I have never seen a, a situation like this. in the you know soybeans are reacting. They reacted and they sold off on. Oh, it's going to rain. It's to, it's, it's a trillion dollar rain. And then they started rallying yesterday. I don't know, Casey. In, in, you know, unless you know, unless I've lost my mind somewhere along the line between here and the end of the year, the soy market needs to really get its act together and correctly price in the worst start to the Brazilian planting season I have ever seen in. Recorded history, and I have I recorded history in, in South America, 1950, uh, in terms of real, real record recording. Um, never seen like quite like yeah. this. So, with that in mind, you know, I, I, I would say that um, farmers, producers out there who are have soybeans that are left from their harvest, or um, you know, or looking at pricing in next year's. Potential harvest or protecting downside price risk. I still believe there's going to be a very good opportunity to bring more money home on the farm when this weather scenario truly plays out in the minds of the market. At some point, I can't say for sure exactly when that point is. Nobody can, but it, the sooner, the closer we get, and the more we further we get into the growing season in December, the more the market's going to have to start putting pencil and paper together on their spreadsheets and going this is not going to work out. And then we're going to start to see, is everyone's going to start, well, it was supposed to be 165 millimeter. T- uh, it's 160. It, uh, it's 154. 140. You know, they're going to keep boom, boom, right. boom, 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 boom. And once that starts and the, and, the, and the snowball rolls, then the question is how speculative do these funds want to get and how much of an overshoot are we going to get? I don't, I don't know. All the, a lot of that depends on what's going on in the market at the time. Needless to say, I don't believe sub $14 soybeans are correctly ascertaining this kind of a weather scenario at this time. So that's where we're at.
0: So Yep. It's crazy times, man. You look what's going on down there and, and the way things are shaping up that you have, you know, the North and the South are, are both in, and having crop issues for two completely different reasons and it's it's a very very unique situation uh like you said unprecedented times uh where we see things going through and uh kind of hit on it a little bit and there's, there's a lot of factors playing into that brazilian thing but going back to uh the tonga volcano issue if you look at the world right now and you look at where where the most condensed heat amount of heat has come from uh, in in a lot of recorded history in a lot of areas. It was post a volcano, so.
3: And, yeah. and I and I and I want to. There's been a couple of times that we had a hot dry start. Yeah. Not like this. All right. Yeah. Not like this. Nothing like this. Yeah. But uh, there's been a couple of years that we've had a hot dry start. Um, 2015 was the last year that we had something, not you know, let's <laughs> something like this. Soybean yields were down 10 to 12 percent that year. Corn yields were down 20 percent 20 percent that year, 15 to 20 percent that year, depending on the region you were in. In this scenario is
2: much much worse. Now, obviously, the growing season isn't over yet, okay? We have a long way to go. But what I'm saying is that when we had a much better start. Than we had this year, albeit hot and dry. We had some pretty significant shortfalls
3: in overall crop production in Brazil. So, if we're starting off this far behind the eight ball and we have any kind of continuation of this weather pattern, like you typically do with these things, um, you know, the, the prospects for production based upon. The history of the last couple of times, which show those kinds of reductions in yields on both productions, you know that that's that's the minimum expectation we would be expecting here, unless there's a dramatic change in the weather pattern, and I mean dramatic change in the weather pattern to turn it around. you around. Know, we're minimally looking at a repeat of what the last couple of times looked like, and this is much much worse. I don't think people are correctly. Everybody looks at moisture. And and I and I don't think everyone's looking at the heat. The heat is so over the top. You know, I, I just I don't think people understand what it
2: means to be a hundred to a hundred and five every day.
3: Um,
0: Sucks. I've been there.
3: <laughs> well what what I mean is I, I don't think they don't they, I don't think they really understand the difference between Oh, it's huge. Cool and dry Right. and hot oh, and dry. dry. Yeah. I I am a total understanding that we can get crops can get through very minimal moisture if it's not too hot. It's proven time and time again that if you get just a little bit of rain just when you need it, even if it's if it's not hot, the genetics we have we we can have a crop. Whereas a hundred years ago we couldn't have a crop, but not if it's a hundred degrees. It's not yeah. going to happen. And I think that's somehow people are not equating how hot it is. I hear some people talk about it, but, but, but then when they say that, oh, this is a trillion rate, save the day, I don't think it's 100 degrees all week long. I don't think they've, they're not, they're not putting the temperature. There's something called a thermal condition index. It's the satellites. So the satellites can measure a lot of different things. They can measure vegetative health and they can measure what's called thermal condition, which means how much stress is being applied to vegetation based upon heat. And we're at, uh, it goes back to 1979 when the satellites really started putting this information out. We're at the highest thermal condition index, meaning the greatest stress ever seen by a long shot since 1980. The vegetative health index is the worst, meaning that the vegetation is the worst it's
2: ever looked at this time of year by a long
3: shot. This is satellite. This is not someone's opinion. Uh, this is not someone's uh, conjecture. Uh, maybe the satellites aren't perfect. You know, maybe they make mistakes, but but it's a steady uh, data point that we can relate to past data points. And we're at the worst vegetative health and the worst thermal conditioning at this point in time, going back to 1979 by a long shot. So satellites confirming that this heat is is devastating things in. Northern half of Brazil, and you know if the heat backs off and the rains come, obviously that could change things, but so long as that heat is what it is, an inch and a half is not going to get it done. I'm sorry, but the trillion dollar rain is is maybe they're they're measuring it in uh in argentine pesos or something, but it's not in u
0: s dollars that would definitely make more sense if they are doing it in Argentine dollars. It, it, it yeah, a
3: trillion dollar a, a trillion dollar argentine pesos would maybe you know be like a dollar 25 yeah. that makes sense to me it, makes maybe a it was a sense. dollar maybe it was a dollar 25 ring maybe <laughs> yeah, I'll, that, I'll go for that that might that, that
0: might be what they mean it just yeah, it, I, I think that part.
3: makes more sense to me maybe yeah. maybe the increased crop production by dollar 25 i think that definitely i could be on board with and, and, and go with that
0: you can sure. live with that one okay that i can live sense. with that
3: one i'm, I'm all, right. all right with that
0: yeah awesome yeah all right sean Good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that?
3: Um, Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors with an S.com. We have a a Twitter page, at Baradex, F-E-R-I-D-E-X 11. Also have a LinkedIn page. We put put some stuff on there from time to time. Uh, They go over interviews and some things that we're looking at with climate and cycles to see if what we do with agriculture might be of value to those watching the show.
0: Right on. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on, man. I'm thankful for uh you coming on this podcast and talking like you do and 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 giving me your time to do all this. So I appreciate all you've done for me here over the course of this year, man. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you, Casey, and thanks for the uh the opportunity to share this kind of information. Not everyone is um is open to some alternative thinking uh as you know. Um and, and I appreciate that uh that ability to get this out because I think it's important information that is not being put out by many, but it's also extremely factual and important. And I think you're doing a great service to those in agriculture that watch the show.
0: So I think alternative information might be a slight uh, understatement with with what you with what you put out, Sean. Because you're the this is the only place I swear I, I I look forward to talking to you every time because when you come on here, there is a high likelihood that you're going to tell me something that I have never heard in my life and I can Google it and find it, but it's like buried under so many levels of things that you, it's hard to find. And I, I commend you for your research and what you've been able to do here, man. So this, this is awesome having you on the show, man. I appreciate it. It was funny.
3: It. Uh, I was, and anyway, I've been speaking quite a bit this past month, as you know, probably why I got sick, I guess. Um, but, um, uh, you know, and I've been talking about, you know, this, uh, El Nino Modocai, and all, and, and uh, you know, no one's heard this. No, no one, not, at least the people that were in the room and these various conferences, no one's heard about this. Most people thought, you know, just... It's not, you're in your so when just you, to you do a search, you do a yeah. search, it pops up. Oh yeah. And there's this whole, and there's all this, this information, all what information it is. There, yeah. You know, I mean high smart, incredibly smart doctorate people that have degrees all over the place talking about modicai and, and mm-hmm. what it means. And they go, I never heard of this. And now I do a search. I was, there it is. I yep. never wouldn't know. So it's just interesting that you know that that stuff that's actually out there that is well known by by those in uh, yeah, you know, it's just interesting that something that's well known by many is not is not well known by uh, by many because it's yep. it's not something that is talked about on your widespread outlets of information. You know, they just don't talk about this kind of thing, and yep. yet it's a huge driver yes. of our climate. And so yep. I'm grateful for that. And now everyone that that has seen me will say, I now know what a, a Motokai is. And I now in the future, anybody that I, you know, I'm going to be looking out for this. So, so, you know, I get great satisfaction in that because it makes everyone in the room better at what they do. Cause now they have another tool in their, in their chest on a, on a weather pattern that they didn't know before.
0: Yeah. So, well, when you started talking about emoticons the first time I was like, this must be, I didn't know Sean was into Brazilian jujitsu. This is great. I'm going to learn something, but no, it's about the weather. So it's a, <laughs> it's it's, I've been, I've been, I've had you speak at my thing. I don't know two or three times, and everyone's walks out there going like, "I had no idea what he was talking about, and he made this stuff up." And I go, "Just Google it. Go Google it." And then it comes back, and they're like, "Yep, that's uh, that's right. It's there." So,
3: well, I always tell people, you know, uh, put in your computer the year without a summer. It is real. Yep, it it happened. After Mount Tambora, at the last grand solar cycle, it's not made up. We, it's 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 there, and you know, and, and it's factual. So, as hard as it is to believe, this is this rodeo has happened before. Yep. It's just that no one's no one's alive to tell us it's happened before. Yep. So we have to do our our own work and have the faith and conviction of of historical context
0: to be willing to project it out into the future again. That's yep. all. And just to to shine a little light on how actually uh devastating that volcanic activity was uh, when it went off was there were articles you can go read about the winter of 1915 and 1916 where the uh, uh was it? the the texas gulf like the right around um like Padre Island in that area or the there was enough ice in that, on the ocean there that people could ice skate in there. So that just kind of shows you how how devastating these volcanic eruptions can be when they get to that level. So, Sean, I appreciate your, your research, and I mean, I look forward to uh, talking to you again after Thanksgiving here.
3: Me too. Thanks, uh, Casey. Appreciate it. All you. right.
0: Have a good Thanksgiving, man. Uh, tell, your, tell your family hi for me, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Sounds good. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Ooh. Check me out on Snapchat at Moving Iron Podcast. And I got the, I got a TikTok now, so check me out over there on on that uh, at Moving Iron Podcast. Go to the video version of this on YouTube, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. And everything Moving Iron related, check it out on LLC.com And we got some announcements coming up here over the next couple of months. You'll see, and hopefully a new website coming up. Here before the uh, sometime the first year so with that I'm Casey Seymour Sean Hackett let's move some iron folks Out.
1: when you partner with Axon you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower we carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels we specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Ooh, more iron with Axon.
0: Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours.
1: You'll find us here Moving higher